does it mean to be a disciple? And we're going to get through as much of it as we can today. And the next Sunday, well, if we need if we need to finish it off, we'll finish it off next Sunday. And also what I'd like to do next Sunday is get into the, the very important aspect of making disciples. Making disciples. So, so what it means to be a disciple and then making disciples. Those are the two thoughts that, uh, that I really believe that the Lord would want us to convey to you over these next two Sundays. All right. Praise the Lord. Now, what, what is a disciple anyhow? First of all, uh, to, to give you some insight, a, a disciple is uh, a, a pupil or a learner. Uh, the, the very context of the definition of a disciple infers being taught, but not by word only, but by word and example. Uh, how many of you understand that some things are taught and some things are caught? Hey, <laughs> yeah, so some things are taught because you can hear words and you can hear instruction, but some things are caught because when you're in the presence of somebody, when you're under the influence of somebody, when you're able to see how they do and what they do, the example affects you and the example teaches you just as much as the words spoken. And we understand that Jesus said that a disciple is not above his teacher or above his master. So, so therefore, there's a clear indication that there is a, a submission of a disciple to their master, to their leader. And, uh, and so that we want to explore this. And really what I did in, in preparation for this was very simple. I just looked through the Bible to where it talked about disciples and look, to, look for common themes that just kept to seem to keep showing up. And those common themes are what I want to go ahead and present to you this morning. Hallelujah. Now, uh, I, go to Matthew chapter 8. That, that'll be a starting point for us. But I want you to understand this, that uh, you know, when, when we talk about disciples, people are quick to say, oh yeah, Jesus had 12 disciples. And they later got called apostles. Uh, but, but I want you to know, Jesus had a whole lot more than 12 disciples. It, it, uh, we need to settle that right away. You know, the Bible does specifically reference the 12 and talks about them often. And sometimes when, it, when the scripture generically says the disciples, it can mean just the 12. But there's a lot of times where, where the, the term as it's used in scripture is referring to more than just the 12. And we're going to see that as we go along today. But uh, as you, you're going to Matthew 8, one of the first things I want, want us to see about uh, what it means to be a disciple is that a disciple must decide how far they will go. And if you're a real disciple, you're going to go the distance. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. A disciple must decide how far they will go. And if you're a real disciple, you're going to go the distance. Come on. Matthew chapter 8, look at verse 18. It says, and when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. And then a certain scribe came to him and said to him, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Interesting thing that Jesus basically said, do you really know what you're getting into? Yeah. 
Now, Jesus was very quick to put out there as this man wanted to be his disciple, wanted to be his follower. Jesus was very quick to spell out, you want to do this? That's all right, but it will cost you something. So Jesus was very upfront about the cost of being a disciple. Verse 21, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bear my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So understand this, that, uh, that when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, you need to really be aware of what you're getting into because you're not getting into something that's easy. Now, I'll tell you what, in comparison to eternity in hell, believe me, it's easy. But, but, but you see, here in, in this life, it, it requires crucifying the flesh. It requires you to be able to say no when your flesh wants to say yes. When your flesh wants to do something and, and, and uh, it really wants it and wants it now. And to have to say, no, you're not going to have it, that's not very fun. However, by comparison... We understand this, that the scripture says that the way of the transgressor is hard. So, so uh, is it tough to be a soldier for the Lord? Is it tough to be a disciple? Yeah. But don't forget that by comparison, the other option is, oh, you got to think long term now. See, we're so used to thinking about temporary convenience in the moment and what feels good at the moment. But when you start thinking long term, you're thinking, all right. Well, it might feel good at the moment, but I'm thinking about my eternity. I'm thinking about where my reservations are. And I want my reservations in the non-smoking section, not the smoking section. Come on. So therefore, I am motivated. Even though it's tough at the moment, I'd rather be tough on myself at the moment than experience hell for eternity. Come on. Now, uh, go to John 6. Go to John 6. We're going to go and continue saying some things. Real disciples go the distance. And a disciple must decide how far they will go. Hallelujah. Here in John chapter 6, we're going to read a segment right after Jesus preached what, what some people would consider one of his most controversial messages. About eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And you got all the people in the crowd saying, how's this man going to give us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink? And totally missing what Jesus was saying. John chapter 6, look at verse 60. Therefore, many of his, what's that word? Disciples. When they heard this, this sermon about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, They said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit, their life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. Now, think about this. These are people 
who are identified as disciples, and Jesus says to them, there are some of you who do not believe. Think about that. Now, one thing that's amazing to me is how what we're seeing here so well fits with what Jesus taught us in the parable of the sower. How many remember the parable of the sower and the various kinds of ground? And the ground on the wayside where the birds came and ate it up right away. The, the, uh, uh, the, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground. You see in the interaction, even with people called disciples, the various kinds of ground that Jesus described in that parable of the sower. Now look at verse 66. From that time... Many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Remember what I said, real disciples go the distance. And I want to ask you a question. Are you a disciple of convenience today? Are you a disciple who's going to hang around as long as you like the way the sermon's going and you, you like the, the, the songs and the, you, you like... You like how uh, how you feel when you come into church, but if your toes get stepped on and you feel a little bit uncomfortable and somebody confronts you about something in your life, then you say, hmm, see if I'm ever walking in that door again. Are you a disciple for the sake of convenience or are you willing to go the distance? You know, it's interesting over in John chapter 2. Uh, it mentions uh, Jesus performing his first miracle at, at the, the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, where he turned water into wine. And, uh, uh, and it says that he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. But then later in the chapter, it said that he was uh, uh, in Jerusalem at the Passover uh, during the feast. And it said that many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. They believed in his name. But it says something very interesting at the end of John chapter 2 that you need to take note of. It said, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. In other words, Jesus did not get all that excited just because somebody believed. Because Jesus knew that even disciples who believe today and are excited today may not stand the test of time. Now, I got to tell you, later this year, I would have had the privilege of serving God in this house for 22 years. And I want you to know that over the course of 22 years, I have seen lots of excited people. Yeah, I found my home. Yeah, I found my pastor. Glory to God. This is awesome. This is wonderful. I love it. Couldn't imagine being anywhere else in the world. And I tell you what, that I've seen it last very short periods of time, shall we say. You know, uh, as they say uh, in the restaurant business, uh, flash in the pan, you know what I mean? It's bright and just comes in and looks really like it's something, but it's out just as fast as it lit up. Yeah, some people, uh, the, the saying is they, they come in, they, they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out. But am I talking to disciples today who are ready to stand the test of time? Who's going to stay in the kitchen even when it gets hot in the kitchen? 
who ain't going to jump out of the pot just because the temperature is getting hot, but you want to stay in there until the chef can say, well done. (laughs) Hallelujah. Go to Luke 14. Luke 14, we're going to see some more words that Jesus spoke about discipleship. Hey, hey, hey. We must put Jesus before everyone else. Everyone else. Nobody has a place ahead of Jesus. If if you're going to do this and you're going to do this right, nobody has a place ahead of Jesus. But Pastor Ray, you just don't understand. Uh, You know, I go to church and stuff, but but this, this relationship really, really means a whole lot to me. Well, what relationship means more? Jesus got to mean more to you than your boo does. Jesus got to mean more to you than mom and dad do. Jesus got to mean more to you than your children do. Jesus got to mean more to you than anybody. Luke chapter 14, are you there? Let's start reading verse 25. It says, now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me. And does not hate. Now understand this before we go on. Other translations clarify that. But by illustrating that. That means hate by comparison. It's not talking about hating your family. Because obviously the Lord told you to love. Not to hate. But there's a hate by comparison. That means that, that compared to Jesus. They're way down on the list. Compared to Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate. That is hate by comparison. His father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. One little side note for you. Jesus never talked about bearing his cross. He talked to you about bearing your cross. Now, why is that very important? Because If you could bear his cross, then you could save yourself. So the cross we're called to bear is not the cross that he was called to bear because he was the only one qualified to bear that cross. The cross you're called to bear is your call. The sacrifices you need to make. The calling that's on your life. That's why Jesus was very specific to say, and whoever does not bear his cross, as opposed to him saying, and who does not bear my cross. You see that? That's really important because you can't bear his. Only he could bear his and thank God he did it. But you are called to bear yours. So once again, verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man begin to build, was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, a lot of people hear those words of Jesus and, and, and respond in a negative way to it. Like, 
Oh, it, it, it costs so much. I don't know if I could ever do that. Jesus, you're asking so much of me. I don't know if I can go ahead and give you that much. But I, I, I want to I break this down. I got to tell you that, that in my eyes, that's one of the most positive things in the whole Bible. Because you know what? It's positive because it makes it crystal clear. There's no fuzziness about it. So I can just know without doubt, without any fuzzy uh, uh, thinking or, or anything that's not clear in my way of seeing it. I can just know that if I'm going to go this way, this is what it means. And if I'm going to go this way, then I can go ahead and have a whole lot of other things, but I'm not going to have that. I can go ahead and, 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 and keep my relationships and, 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 and keep LaQuisha on the side and, and do all that other stuff that I, I want to do. But, but if I'm doing that, I can't go this way. Come on. So, so this is very clear. This is very concise. This makes it easy to make a decision. Because you realize this, that if I'm having people above Jesus, if I'm not picking up my cross and carrying and following him, and if I'm not forsaking all that I have for the sake of him, then I can't be his disciple. So if I want to be his disciple, I need to go ahead and do these things. Now, what does the Bible say? Now, now here's the thing. We need to always look at the entirety of what the Bible says. So you look at this by itself and you say, well, I'm going to go through life and I'm not going to have any friends. I won't have my father, my mother, my wife, my children, my brothers, my sisters, but at least I got Jesus. And, and, and you know, they'll, they'll say, well, I'm, I'm forsaking all that I have, so I may not have anything, but I, I, at least I'll still have Jesus. You, you know what Jesus said after the rich young ruler left? And, and you see, the, the unfortunate thing about that rich young ruler who came to Jesus, you know, uh, he left too early. Because if he would have hung around, he would have found out the rest of the deal when Jesus said that there's no one who's left uh, houses and lands and brothers and sisters and family for the gospel's sake who does not receive in this life a hundredfold with persecution and in the life to come eternal life. So if you hang around long enough, you figure out that Jesus is not trying to take something from you. He's trying to get something to you. That's why you can't cut out on the sermon too early. Because you got to hear the rest of the story. So we see disciples. must decide how far they will go and real disciples go the distance. Also notice this, disciples are productive. Someone say disciples are productive. They get orders, they get missions, and they get assignments and they carry them out. I said they get orders, missions, and assignments and they carry them out. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 8, he said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. A, a clear indicator of being a disciple means you're bearing fruit. It means you're being productive. You know, it's interesting. 
We see uh, several instances throughout the gospel. We see uh, over in Matthew 10 in the first five verses, we see that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal sickness and disease. And he sent them out and gave them commands, sent them out on a mission. So, so, so we see Jesus spiritually equipping them with power to go and, and, and exercise that, that power and that authority over the works of the enemy. We see the great commission of Matthew chapter 28, the last two verses of the gospel of Matthew, where, where he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So once again, he's sending them out with a directive, with a mission, with an assignment. But these, you can see that they're spiritual in nature. These have to do with them being spiritually empowered to do something that, 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 that is, uh, uh, you can't do without that, that spiritual equipment, without that anointing, without that endowment from on high. But as we're about to see here, Jesus did not just give the spiritual assignments out. You know, some people in church say, I, you know, they, they ask me to do this or that, and I, I don't do that. Now, if they ask me to preach or something like that, now I'd be up for that, you know. But, uh, you, you know, they, they ask me to stand at the door and pass something out. Now, I, I got more of a gift than that, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but but you, you know what? You, you know, when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes, he gave his disciples a job. It says in Matthew 14 that, that he gave the loaves to his disciples so that disciples could give them to the multitudes. Not every job that the disciples got from the master was a big spiritual mission. Hey, God, I feel like preaching. Mm. Sometimes you just got a job that had to be done. Sometimes, like in that case with the loaves and the fishes, I call it practical participation in a supernatural process. Practical participation in a supernatural process. Yeah, there were five loaves and two fishes. And then suddenly there was enough loaves and fishes to feed the whole crowd that was there. But Jesus' job for these guys was take the food and make sure everybody gets some. How deep and spiritual is that? These disciples got a job that just simply needed to get done. You know, over in Mark 11, right at the beginning of the chapter, we, we see Jesus sending out two of his disciples and said, hey, you're going to go into the city and you're going to find a coat tied. And said, when you find that coat tied, go ahead, loose it and bring it. And if, if anybody asks you any questions, just tell them the Lord has need of it. A practical thing that needs to get done. Go get me a coat so I can ride it into the city of Jerusalem. He said, you're going to find the coat tied up. Now, I think we need to have some other coats tied up a little bit later today. Come on, somebody. We'll preach a little football at you right now. Hey. Come on. All right. Now, I, I know there's somebody, if you weren't listening, you just start listening. Someone's like, oh, yeah, come on, preach it, man. All right. And, and, and think about this. That, that, that also later on, we, we saw that in Mark 11, but in Mark 14, he sent the disciples out on another mission. What was it? 
Go, you're going to find somebody carrying a big pitcher of water. He's going up to an upper room. Follow him into that upper room. And when you get there, you say, the Lord has need of this room so that he can have his Passover with his disciples. And he said, there, make ready. Which means you're not just going to book the room, but then you got to go over to stop and shop and get the food and set the table and get everything set up too. Practical details. We talked about practical participation in the supernatural process. Come on, can you see the usher in the prayer line? And somebody getting prayed for and receiving the power of God into them and falling out under the power. And then there's the usher right there to catch them. That's called practical participation in a supernatural process. You think about somebody in the nursery singing, Jesus loves me into the ear of that little baby. That's the spiritual part of it, the supernatural part of it. But then along with that supernatural part and that wonderful spiritual part and that beautiful moment of singing, Jesus loves me, baby starts to, to fill the air with a different kind of atmosphere. And there's got to be some changing going on. That's called practical participation in a supernatural process. But I want you to hear this and get this. True disciples accept the simple and the practical assignments given with the same zeal as they would the assignments that seem more exciting and adventurous. Oh, let me say it to somebody again. True disciples accept the simple and practical assignments given with the same zeal as they would the assignments that seem more exciting and adventurous. Amen. 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 Let these sayings sink deep down into your ears. Number three. Disciples are seekers. Disciples are seekers. Go to Mark 7. A few things I can reference to you. Matthew 18.1, it said that Jesus, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were asking a question. Over in Matthew 24, he sat on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately and started asking him questions. When will these things be? What will be the sign of you coming at the end of the age? The disciples were seekers. They, 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 they wanted to, to get more detail. They, they, they wanted to, to uh, be inquisitive with Jesus. Mark chapter 7, look verse 17. It said, when he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. There's a theme here. Go to chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 28. 928 says this, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? That's the case where you had the man with the son who was possessed and the disciples uh, could not cast him out. Jesus rebuked them for for their uh, uh, faithlessness and and went and cast it out. And then they came to Jesus and said, all right, Lord, now that it's over, we want to know why couldn't we cast it out? They were inquisitive. They were seeking knowledge. Mark 10, the very next chapter. Mark 10 and verse 10. 
It says in the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. And Jesus was just talking prior to that about marriage and divorce. So, so we see a pattern of uh, the, the inquisitive nature of a real disciple. Come on. Over in Luke 11, 1, the disciples uh, said, Lord, teach us to pray. Over in chapter 9 of John, when, when they were in, uh, in the temple, uh, uh, the, the, there was the blind man there. The man who was born blind. And uh, uh, they, they were inquisitive. They said, well, Lord, who sinned that caused this to happen? They were asking questions. They were looking to gather some information. And I'll tell you what, there, there is such an important thing about being hungry, not being satisfied with where you're at right now, but wanting to go deeper, wanting to learn more, wanting to be able to say on January 18th of 2016 that there are some things you know then that you didn't know on January 18, 2015. I'm concerned with, with a trend of people being content with where they are and, and saying, well, I, yeah, yeah, I, I should, I, I should know that a little bit better. And then the next time you talk to them, oh, I should know that a little bit better. And it just keeps on going. It's like, well, you knew you had a lack of knowledge in that area a year ago. Why didn't you go ahead and do something about it? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter four, verse 17, with all you're getting, get understanding. Ask some questions. Be inquisitive. Don't just stay dumb. Come on, somebody. Get me going. Hallelujah. The disciples were seekers. They would ask questions. They wanted answers. See, the, the, the crowds got to hear a parable, and then they'd come around and saying, All right, Lord, well, we got the parable. Now give us a little more scoop on what the parable means. Do you see that? And when the disciples showed hunger, the master was inclined to share knowledge with them. So, so as you have hungry disciples, then you've got a master who's inclined to share more. Why? Because Matthew 5 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So when there's a hunger and a thirst, there's a filling. But where there's not a hunger and a thirst, hey, the Bible even says it. Let him that's ignorant be ignorant still. If you want to stay that way, the Lord will let stay that way. But why would you want to stay that way? Why stay ignorant when you have a connection with the master and you can find out the things that you don't yet know that you need to know for the road ahead of you? Come on. I'll tell you, you know, there's people that say, well, I, I just don't understand what Pastor John meant by that. And you know, they'll go ahead and talk to somebody in the congregation and say, I just don't get that. That's over my head. And you know what? That person never called the office to say, hey, you know what? I, there, there's something that, that I want to understand a little bit more. That person never hooks up with the connect group leader and say, hey, you know, pastor said this and I don't know much about that, but I'd like to learn a little bit more. No, they're just complaining that's over my head. I don't get it. And they're content just to do that. There's no hunger and desire to learn and to grow and to find out the answer. They're just happy to say, I don't know what the answer is. 
Lord have mercy on us. But when you've got a hunger and a desire, the master meets you there and he starts showing you things. Just like he did with the disciples. In Matthew 16, 21, he began to show the disciples that he would have to go to Jerusalem and suffer. In Matthew 20, it said he took the 12 disciples aside on the road. They were going down the road. He said, hold on a minute, guys. Let's go in the breakdown lane. And this is what's about to happen. He took them aside and he showed them things. The scripture says in Mark 4, after the parable of the sower, that, 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 uh, that when they were alone, when the crowd was gone, when, when, when church was dismissed, when they were alone, it says in Mark 4, 34, that he explained all things to his disciples. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, with the rich young ruler that I referenced earlier, uh, we see Jesus saying, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And then the disciples were astonished and say, oh boy, <laughs> I got money in my bank. That must mean I'm in trouble. But then Jesus clarified it. He gave further instruction. He said, children, how hard is it for those that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? And then they all, had a look of relief on their face. But, but what happened? The master, because there was a hunger and a thirst for knowledge in the disciples, the master accommodated that and regularly took them aside and revealed things to them. Even, how many of you ever heard of the widow's might? The widow's might is a story of this little old lady who, who was in the temple where everybody with their, with their bling bling on was going and putting their big offerings in. And this little old lady hunched over with two little coins that, that you know, it's like putting two cents in the offering. And, and she come put two cents in the offering. And, and, and you know what? The casual observer would have totally missed it. But what did Jesus do? Jesus called his disciples over, said, boys, Check this out. Watch this. Yeah. And they don't even know what's going on. But Jesus said, let me enlighten you here. See, all these other people, they're giving out of their extra. They're, 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 they're giving what they ain't going to miss. But this girl here, she just put in there her whole living. She just put in there everything she had. And so when the master starts showing you things, he'll give you insight into things that the casual observer would miss. Hallelujah. Let's go on. Disciples are there for a brother in need or a sister in need. Disciples are there for a brother or sister in need. You know, Jesus said in John 13, 35, and this is one to remember. This is one to live by. He said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That the, the number one indicator whereby everybody on planet earth can figure out that you're a disciple of Jesus is you've got love for one another. Why don't you go over to Acts chapter 9. And let me share this with you. Uh, the, uh, the, there are instances of uh, uh, some amazing hospitality regarding the disciples in the book of Acts. When Saul first got saved, Saul, who later became known as the Apostle Paul, 
In Acts chapter 9, it says that he spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Uh, in Acts chapter 14, the, the missions team stayed a long time with the disciples. Acts chapter 20, the disciples came together to break bread. Acts chapter 21, verse 4, the, they, they found disciples and stayed there seven days. Acts chapter 21 talks about a, a, an early disciple or an old disciple named uh, Manasin of Cyrus, Cyprus. And they lodged with him. So there was something hospitable about the disciples. There, there was something about them that was opening up their lives and opening up their homes. Disciples were hospitable. But I want you to see uh, these amazing things about disciples being there for a brother in need. Acts chapter 9, look at verse 23. This is talking about Saul, that, that we know better as Paul. Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. The disciples were there for a brother in need. A brother who, if he walked out the door and went the usual route, he'd have had a target on his head. But the disciples said, no, we're we're not going to let this man who just come into the kingdom of God and can exercise so much influence for the kingdom of God. We're not going to let him go out into the street and be minced meat right away. We're going to get him out of here one way or the other. We're going to have his back. Look in Acts chapter 11, just a few pages over. Acts chapter 11. Hallelujah. Verse 27 of Acts 11, it says, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, come on, here's the disciples at work again. Each according to his ability determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. See, this is talking about disciples being there for their brothers in need. When there was famine going on, they were determined, each according to his ability, to send relief, to send help to the saints that were in need. Go to Acts 14. This is a beautiful thing we're about to read here. Acts chapter 14. Hallelujah. What are you receiving from the Lord today? Acts chapter 14. Take a look at verse 19. It says, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Verse 20, however, mm -mm -mm. however, when the disciples gathered around him, mm, he rose up and went into the city. How many of you disciples can go and and find somebody that's been left for dead and gather around them? Something about gathering around somebody in their time of need, gathering around somebody when they've been left to the side and, 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 and assume that there's no more hope and assume that there's no more chance at getting up and going again. But when disciples gather around you, there's something about the strength and the love that comes out of a disciple in a brother's time of need that can infuse life and infuse strength into a situation. 
where a man who was left for dead got up and got going again. Hallelujah. Disciples are there for a brother in need. Number five. Disciples will continue in the word. Go to John 8. John chapter 8. Disciples continue in the word. They keep on going. You know, over in Acts 14, verse 21 and 22, I'll read this to you as you turn into John 8. It said, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So disciples were encouraged to continue in the faith. John chapter 8, verse 31. Listen to the words of Jesus. You're going to see that same thought. Then Jesus said to those who believe, who believed him, if you abide, if you abide or continue or remain, abide, continue, remain in my word, you are my disciples indeed. I love that word indeed. Because the ones that continue, they gain what I call indeed status. Now, those ones in John chapter 6 that didn't like Jesus' sermon got up and left. They didn't have indeed status. They thought, I'll be your disciples as long as I like what you're preaching. But the ones that continued in the word, they got indeed status. Say, you're you're continuing, you're sticking with it, you're hanging around, you're the real thing. You're not in this just for the, for the nice weather. You, you're in this when it's stormy, too. You're in this when it's tough. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Continue in the word. As a matter of fact, along this line, it's another interesting thing that you see in the scripture, how the disciples so often it said that they remembered a word that was spoken in the past. They, they, they brought to remembrance a word that Jesus said or a word that was said about Jesus. And after the fact, they connected the dots. It's a beautiful thing. You know, right, right in John chapter 2. And you know what? You, you might as well go right there. John chapter 2. And just so, so you know the background, this is where Jesus went into the temple, kicked out the money changers. Turned over the tables, got a whip, and he used the whip too. He wasn't just trying to be cute. He was throwing those guys out of there. And he said, take these things away, verse 16 in chapter 2. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise, verse 17. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Come on. Is there anybody who's ever gotten to a point where you saw something happen, saw something take place, and it took you back, something clicked, and you remembered what was said about that? And now you're connecting the dots and you say, yeah, I see it coming to pass now. I see what was said, and now I see the fulfillment of it. Right there in the same chapter, look at verse 19. It said, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered. Ah, 
that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Okay, can you see that? Getting to the point where you see the word come to pass and then you remember. That's right. That's what he said. That's exactly what he said. That's exactly how he said it was going to be. And now I'm seeing it come to pass. You're right there in John. Go to chapter 12. Go to chapter 12. Hallelujah. And we're going to wrap this thing up real soon. John chapter 12. So Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And it references the prophecy of the, uh, of the prophet Zechariah about the, the, the king coming into the city. In verse 16, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. So, once again, when you continue in the word, when you hold the word in your heart and you keep the word inside of you, there comes the point where you make the connection. Where you don't see it, you don't see it, you don't see it, and then you see it and it's like, yeah, that's what he said. That's what he meant back there when he said that. That's the thing he promised. That's the thing he said would come to pass. And it happened just like it said. Just like he said it would. Just like over in Mark 11 with that fig tree. Jesus cursed that fig tree that didn't have any fruit on it. And the disciples heard it. And then they were going by the next day. Or a few days later and Peter looked and remembered and said, Rabbi, look. He remembered what the Lord said. And talking about remembering what the Lord said, this can really help you out in your time of need, disciples. I want you. I want to just uh, end with this today. In Acts chapter twelve, James, the brother of John, was beheaded by King Herod, and Peter was in jail and was going to be next. And this was the night before Peter was supposed to be brought out to the people. And he's sleeping, chained between two soldiers. I don't know. You, you got to have some kind of peace to be sleeping and chained in between two soldiers. When you know that the next day is your date of execution. And so here he is. Chained between two soldiers sleeping. So much so that when the angel came to him, it said the angel had to hit him to wake him up. You can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 12. The angel smote him on the side. Now, how could Peter, when he knows that his head's going to be on the block just like James' head was, the very next day be sleeping so peacefully chained between two soldiers? Well, this is where it's very profitable for us disciples to remember the word. Because Peter knew this, that just before Jesus' ascension, and you can look this up in the last chapter of the book of John, actually John 21, verse 18 and 19. You can see that right there, Jesus actually prophesied to him.
and said, when you're old, someone's going to take you where you'd rather not go. And he spoke something to him that was significant. He spoke something to him about the kind of death that he would die, but also that he was not going to be young when he died, but that he was going to be old when he died. So how could Peter sleep so peacefully, chained between two soldiers? Because he said, well, you know what? I, I'm not as young as I used to be, but I ain't old yet. And Jesus said, I'm hanging out until I'm old and I ain't going to be old by tomorrow morning. So I know this, that whatever happens and however it gets done, I'm getting rescued out of this situation. Tomorrow is not my last day on earth. And how could he know it? Because he remembered the word that was spoken. Are you a disciple? I said, are you a disciple? And if you're not, do you want to be? You can be today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we honor you and give you glory. We thank you, Lord, for the spirit of God in this place. Lord, the beauty of your presence that's in this place today. We honor you and give you glory. And Father, I pray for everybody here. That as they've heard the word, Lord, that the word is having an impact on their hearts. And Lord, that you are doing a great work in the lives of every individual in this place in Jesus' name.